Why aren't you dead? Hey. What the you should be. Okay, what do we know? What do we need to know? What are you gonna do? What the fuck? Wait, wait, wait! Ah! I like you. Family. They're evil. I've seen so many die. Well, I talk to myself, so we all have issues. Damn, what a sexy little psychopath. Am I right? Uh-huh. What? How do you talk to yourself? It was something I picked up in prison. Why were you in prison? story. Suck my balls. No, that's disgusting. Yippee-ki-yay. No, it's been done. I still... Fuck. We need to know how much time we have. If you can't undo those knots by dawn, it's gonna be big trouble in Little Finland. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fresh Cuts. It's 2021, and we are starting another year of reviewing new releases of horror, everything the genre has to offer. So hopefully uh, we'll all be going back to the theater sooner than later. It's not quite happening yet, but um, I guess there's a light at the end of it somewhat. <laughs> so I will introduce my co-host, starting with Mr. Venom. How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, pandemic survivors. I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Mike? Oh, it's going all right. Um, it's, it's been a quick start to 2021. I, we're, what, in like the third week of January already? Mm-hmm. Days flying by like usual. <laughs> also with us, as always, it's Don and Ellie. How are you doing, Don? Hey, what's going on, folks? Yeah, just... Uh... Glad we can finally write 21 instead of 20 on there, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So I did mention this is our first uh, show of 2021. Uh, technically, we had the other, the top 10 show um, last week. Um, so I just wanted to once again thank. Thank uh, Derek, our host, our host from No More Room in Hell, uh, Brandon Young, and Scott Crawford uh, for joining us for that. It, it was a fun time, and uh, we all had very unique lists with, you know, some crossover on them, of course. But uh, I, I was pretty happy to see where everyone's lists went. So thanks a bunch for them to for making that show. Lots of fun. But uh, today. We are 
taking on our first movie, obviously VOD. Uh, and it is called Bloody Hell. It is listed as an action horror mystery. Its official release date listed on IMDb January 24th, which I believe was this past either Thursday or Friday. And uh, the synopsis, obviously, it, it looks, or uh, not obviously, but it looks like um, favorably there's not too much on on IMDb that gives away too much so a man with a mysterious past flees the country to escape his own personal hell only to arrive somewhere much much worse <laughs> okay for those uh, if, it, if it's a new year new uh, podcast for any listeners out there we go around and do our general thoughts first get kind of our uh, general opinions what we thought of the movie and then after that we get into spoilers so I am going to kick it to Mr. Venom to give his general thoughts on Bloody Hell. What did you think, sir? Well, uh, I'm glad that 2021 is starting a lot better than 2020 started. Of course, last year we started with that awful grudge film, which I famously hated and hated throughout the entire year. But luckily, 2021 starts with a much more fun, more enjoyable movie experience with Bloody Hell. Yes, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I like the balance between the horror and the comedy. I like the kind of uh, social commentary even on mental health with uh, kind of both of our main protagonists as the movie goes along with, with a pretty cool little ending to kind of, you know, put a cherry on top of this awesome little Sunday. Um... This was, I mean, this was a cool, uh, you know, kind of crazy redneck family uh, type movie uh, without giving away too much about the story. Uh, but, of course, with it being set in Finland, it gives it a definitely a different aesthetic than, like, your average wrong turn or Texas Chainsaw Massacre type movie. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought our main character was very enjoyable. I liked the way that they gave us little bits of information as the movie went along. Um, you know, our movie kind of opens up with a bank robbery, and rather than showing us everything that happens at the robbery on that first occasion, they just pepper um, little facts about that robbery throughout the film until we finally get to the third act and we see how the robbery actually fully played out, which of course affects our main protagonist, protagonist Rick, uh, Rex, excuse me, who of course makes the decision that after he's, uh, you know, taking care of one situation in America, decides to leave and try to find a fresh start with a very arbitrary way of picking the country, uh, which we'll get to into the spoiler section. But yeah, I thought this was a fun movie. Um, definitely not like anything that's going to be a top 10 candidate by any stretch. Just a fun, uh, you know, little movie that kind of subverted expectations at multiple um times uh i really like how he wakes up in finland again um getting a little bit in the spoiler territory there so i'm not going to talk too much about specifics but that first scene of him waking up in finland is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie there's a great there's a horrific thing that happens to rick 
but then it's counterpointed with the comedy of the conversation that he's having with a certain someone, which once again, we'll get into in the spoiler section. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I watched it twice this weekend, actually had more fun with it the second time. Uh, I was able to for, uh, forgive some of the foibles that I had with uh, with the family and with our female protagonist specifically on second on the second watch. I liked her character a lot more. So let me just cut this off by saying overall, this was a fun movie. You know, it's not a 10 out of 10 by any stretch, but, you know, um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more horror, a little bit more gore. We, We don't get much throughout the movie. And then the very end of the movie where we get a reveal on uh, a family member that we don't see throughout the film does come off a little hokey, a little, you know, kind of contrived. Something that we've seen a lot. In fact, another movie that was released the same week as this film, uh, which actually dropped on Shudder, I believe, is called Butchers. And it's almost a carbon copy. I mean, other than the setting, uh, a lot of the same similar themes are looked at right down to the reveal of that certain family member that that we don't see throughout the film. Almost the exact same reveal. So go figure. And both movies were really enjoyable. Um, I think we decided to go with Bloody Hell for this episode of Fresh Cuts because this movie has a little bit more comedy in it, has a little bit more of a fun factor to it. Um, but honestly, I think both films were fairly well made, and I think that they should both be watched. So if you have Shudder, definitely check out Butchers. But Bloody Hell, like I said, fun movie, um, good characters, good uh, performances, a, a pretty cool little score. I like the editing style with uh, just random images being flashed throughout the film. Um, the time jumps, even though some were longer than others, were for the most part enjoyable and made sense. And the movie is 90 minutes even. So again, you're not spending too much of your day on it. So yeah, overall, I enjoyed Bloody Hell. Number one movie of 2021. (laughs) All right, Don, what did you think of Bloody Hell? Um, I'm probably just a tick below Venom, like uh, we usually are. I do agree. It's not as much horror as what I would want. Um, a lot of that is, uh, I do agree. I do, I do like the idea of splitting up how splitting up what actually happened in the beginning. Um, I'm not entirely sure if it's a warranted split though, because one of my major issues with the film is, I mean, I don't know if this is really going to be much of a spoiler, but. I had the hardest time trying to figure out what on earth they were trying to put him up on trial for to begin with. If, oh, they, if exactly. he saved, like, like, you know, he, he shot took, four it, armed robbers. I mean, yeah. he shot four bank robbers. Like, what the fuck? Why is he on trial? He was the one that saved everybody. Like, that that was like my main thing throughout this entire first half of this was like, why was he on trial? Like, he was in jail for eight years. Eight. Years, right, because I, I was trying to think, because they gave him the plea bargain, and that was the eight years, right, because they originally yep. wanted 20. Yep. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that I was trying to remember. They originally wanted 20. The plea bargain was eight. Yeah, that's right, because I, I was trying to, like, I'm, I'm trying to get the, the, you know, the facts straight, but mm-hmm. yeah, like, he was on trial, and it was like, why? And then that was just, like, this major thing, and then it's like, the way that this does, because it puts, 
it gives them the situation, and then it gives you all of the answers why leading into the third act. And it was kind of like really, it just kind of like discombobulating and jarring in a sense because, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about it soon. It's like, okay, he's stuck in this situation. Yeah, it's horrific, but the it's only horrific because of the reveal which doesn't come until the third act so a mm-hmm. lot of the film you're wonder you're just wondering is like okay what's going to happen what's going to kick in and yes it does kick in and it becomes a lot of fun once it does but when you're waiting for it to kick in it's actually more of a dark comedy than anything because i i mean as much as i love the interactions with him and the other figure there with him not a lot of that is really horror to me and it's kind of of like you're waiting for it to kick in you know it's going to go somewhere fun you know it's going to get there mm-hmm. and a lot of the pay a lot of the wait to get there isn't worth it so i'm probably just like i said just a tick below venom but overall yeah it's not necessarily the worst watch i mean i'm with him you know the grudge was a far worse way to start the year <laughs> off and just like him i was railing against that for the rest of the year so uh, I am going to say it's already my fourth of the year uh, not necessarily fourth fourth watch but it's number four on my list of the year so yeah um, definitely worthwhile definitely enjoyable but I'm probably just going to end up saying it's better than average overall yeah I agree with you on the suspension of disbelief for the whole bank robbery and subsequent trial. Um, Like I said, the only thing I can figure is they, you know, the police always want civilians to just kind of hang loose in those kind of situations. So the fact that someone's going to, you know, stand, stand up for himself, which obviously is all he really did was stand up for himself and the innocent people in that bank and then do the things that he does he has to prove in court that his life was in danger at every instant where, you know, he took out one of the robbers. And I don't really want to get in too much detail because I do have a more specific answer, even the charge. Uh, I can even tell you the charge that they would uh, get him on. But like I said, I don't really want to get into specific details and, and, and just in case anybody's uh, curious on watching this. And yeah. I, I didn't actually say We're my still general technically- well, I'm just saying we're still technically in, like, the opening segments instead of spoilers anyway. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, once we once we get into it, I'll be, I'll be able to at least have more specific theories anyway. I don't, I don't know if they're all factual, but I do have sp- um, some theories as to what happens to our main character. And, yeah, there's a lot of suspension and disbelief in this movie. Everything that happens at... And after the bank robbery, the way that he decides to go to Finland is so arbitrary that it's kind of funny, but then it's kind of not at the same time. Like I said, we'll get into that later. But um, yeah, I do. I do. I, I do agree with Don that there's a lot of suspension of disbelief in this one. But like I said, once, you know, once a certain character shows up. Uh, at that point, the movie is just fun to me the whole rest of the way. I tend not to take it too seriously. And, you know, at that point, you know, once once we realize that uh, Rex maybe isn't as sane as we hoped he would be, uh, I just had a blast with the movie. And I feel like it did this so much better than I've seen 
other movies do it. Um, uh, Mike, try to remind me after, uh, when we're doing the spoiler section, try to remind me about my most hated movie from two years ago because it does have similarities to this movie, unfortunately. But not in a bad way either, so go figure. Um, but yeah, that's it uh, for general thoughts. Mike, what's your general thoughts on it? Uh, so for me, I I have fun with this movie. I think it's a fun movie, obviously, because I just said I had fun with it. <laughs> um, I think people looking for like a straight-up horror movie, they might not get everything out, out of this movie that they want. There's definitely horror elements to it, but I don't I don't think it's enough to just say a horror movie. Um, obviously, what I'm referring to, I can't get to just yet. But I, I also agree. Once the movie gets going to where it's it's uh, wants to be, once he's over in um, Finland, um, things pick up. I, I think that. You know, this is one of those high concept movies because there's a lot going on in it that I think you could even argue that aren't even necessary to this style of movie. You, um, it's even hard to get into that until we get into spoilers because I don't want to give away anything. Um, I, I think this is a case where like the writer probably had like all these kind of zany, funny ideas. And managed to write like just you know design a script and a movie around getting all these ideas in there. And I would almost argue that there's a couple of things that they probably could have just written out or just taken away completely, and you would still have the same or similar movie. That said, you know I I like the characters. I like the main guy. Um, I liked where it went. I thought. Uh, for what we for the amount of horror we got we got some pretty good gore in there and you know i is it it's just it's a very kind of bizarre movie in the way that it just feels like it could go many different ways especially like after you know that first half hour when i'm thinking okay is this is this a horror movie and then once it hits where it's going it's like okay yeah, it, it's fair to put horror as one of the tags on this. Um, yeah, I I had a good time with it. I didn't get a chance to watch the other one. What is it? Butchers? You said it was called Butchers. Um, okay, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to get that in too, just as a comparison. But I'll probably watch that later tonight. Um, yeah, you would have had a lot but, to say. I mean, anybody who, especially because I saw those movies back to back nights, Friday this past mm-hmm. Friday and Saturday. And the similar, I mean, literally, as I'm watching Bloody Hell, I'm literally, what, what the fuck? Did they, did they actually do a remake of a movie that came out two days earlier? Like, that's literally what it feels like at times. <laughs> Except they just changed the setting. Butchers is a little bit more traditional, you know, like wrong turn, crazy cannibal family in the woods, blah, blah, blah. This one is a little bit more nuanced. Bloody Hell, Bloody Hell isn't like a straight wrong turn or texas chainsaw ripoff like i said earlier definitely uh the the family unit is a little bit more cohesive and quote unquote normal um big quote unquote normal for this family but yeah i mean compared to the family and butchers definitely normal but yeah i just uh i i i love the way that they introduced uh both the situation and the family just such a great job Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, uh, with all that said, yeah, I'm I'm probably I'm probably right over where both of you guys say. I think it's above above average film. If I had to guess, it's not something that would be on my top ten list. But hey, we're a couple yeah. weeks into January, and the fact that it's leagues ahead of what I was feeling <laughs> after last year at this time that says something at least. So, yeah. I, I guess uh, that's it for me for at least for now for general thoughts. Yeah, and I, I feel like this is a, this is a heavy recommend for me. Probably a big part of it is that it is very comedy heavy. You know, we're coming off the holidays. You know, and the the nightmare that is the holiday season for a lot of people. Um, you know, we're coming to the end of a nightmarish presidential term. Blah blah blah. I feel like this is a nice ca- uh, palate cleanser movie. You know, there's we've already said there's not a lot of horror in it. It's solidly a comedy horror, uh, as opposed to a horror comedy. If if you go by how IMDb does their uh, genres, and they'll put the strongest genre first. Yeah, this is definitely not a horror comedy. Um, more co- a comedy horror along the lines of, like, you know, a, a, a Zombie Land or a Shaun of the Dead, even though both of those movies had way more horror than Bloody Hell, but still. Um, but I, this is a high recommend for me for early 2021. It is a VOD title, unfortunately, so you will be spending some money. Uh, um, some of you might be lucky enough to see it in the drive-in. I actually did see one drive-in out here in Southern California that was playing the movie. Um... I forget what the second movie they were playing it with. It was a slightly older movie from last year, but I can't remember now. Uh, might have been The Wretched, actually. But, uh, yeah, uh, if you're lucky enough to see... I, I don't know how good this is going to look in the drive-in, because it's a very dark movie. There's a lot of nighttime scenes and outdoor scenes that you know you might have some trouble seeing at a drive-in screen. But, hey, if you're lucky enough, do it. it, it at least it gets us out of the house, you know? Indeed, All right. Yeah. If anybody doesn't have anything else for general thoughts, this is our spoiler warning. Uh, For those of you new to the show, at this point, what we do is we try to do a detailed walkthrough of the film. Um, Not necessarily a, you know, ultra detailed, fully, you know, like we're breaking down the, the, uh, the script and everything else. But we will go, you know, scene by scene with the important scenes, important plot points. And, you know, if you haven't seen the movie and aren't sure if you have any interest in watching it you're welcome to join us if you think that you're going to be able to check this out in the you know coming days weeks by all means press pause now and then return after you watch the film like i said all three of us for the most part sound like we recommend the film so uh yeah check it out and join us for our spoiler walkthrough um so our movie opens up in helsinki finland it is modern day uh, our movie opens with a, a cute little blonde girl, um, you know, probably like 13, 14 years old. She's younger um, in this scene. Uh, basically shows her, without any context, uh, escaping a house. We see her uh, screaming as she's running out of a house, running through the woods, trying to run away. Um, we then see three adult males chasing her down. Two of them are wearing masks. Uh, finally, she gets down to a, and as she's running away, I forgot to mention, uh, we do hear like very loud animalistic growls kind of throughout. They kind of, it's almost implied like it's animals in the forest, but it turns out to be something That's a little what bit I thought. different. <laughs> exactly. So keep that when in mind. When I was hearing something. it, I was like, okay, this is going to be, 
that whole time I was thinking, okay, this is going to be like a Creatures in the Woods type movie. At that point, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so um, as Aaliyah is running away, she approaches a lake that has a little rowboat at the pier. Um, she approaches the rowboat, tries to untie it. Unfortunately, the three men get to her before she has a chance to. And at the last minute, uh, rather than letting herself be captured, she decides to jump in the lake. Uh, she jumps in the lake, and it's very obvious that she's not trying to swim or float to the top. So it's very obviously a suicide attempt. After about 20 to 30 seconds of her, you know, quietly floating down under the lake, finally we see uh, adult arms go down into the water and pull her up. Uh, and that's basically the end of our cold open at this point. We are then taken to Boise, Idaho, of all places, from Helsinki, Finland, to Boise, Idaho. Uh, we see our main protagonist. His name is Rex, eh, just an average-looking guy. He is waiting in line at a bank. Uh, it's very obvious that he wants to go to a particular teller. He keeps looking at her, and he keeps saying, come on, come on, come on, because obviously there's multiple windows open, and he wants to make sure that he gets the teller that he's trying to get to. Her name is Maddie. Uh, a girl who he obviously has feelings for. It doesn't seem like they have a relationship other than customer and client right now, but he's definitely flirting. She made a comment that she noticed how he was kind of purposely stalling in the line so that he could get uh, up to her window. Uh, basically, they just start chit-chatting, having just, you know, everyday polite conversation, and suddenly a gunshot rings out in the bank. Everyone looks, and there are four or five masked assailants, all armed with shotguns and carrying large duffel bags, basically going to the bank. And they do your basic bank heist routine. They tell everyone to get on the floor. They get the bank manager to take him to the back so that he could open the safe or whatever, blah, blah, blah. At this point, Rex is cooperating. He's on the ground. Um, you know, he's holding up his wallet the way they asked him to. And then suddenly we see um, another of the bank customers who's on the ground and she has a purse that's slightly open rex can see that she has a gun inside of her purse um the woman obviously has no intention of using the gun it's not like she's trying to be rambo but rex is kind of you know shooting looks at her to imply hey throw me the gun i'll take care of it give me the gun she refuses and she grabs her purse and you know holds it tight to her at one point um Someone, someone in the bank doesn't have a wallet, and which infuriates one of the bank robbers. So he basically smashes the butt of his uh, shotgun into this uh, customer's face. And at that moment, he bumps into the woman who has the gun in her purse. She drops the purse right into Rex's lap, the, our first little bit of comedy that we see in the film. Uh, the purse falls right into his lap. He looks right into the camera, gives a sly smile, and then grabs the purse, and the scene actually ends right there, and we get our title card. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of like our cold opening. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, kind of two halves of a cold opening, if you will, since you know one's in Finland, one's in Idaho. Um, so after the uh, bystander doesn't cooperate, and the purse falls in his lap. Uh, the very next scene, which we see during the opening credits, is Rex on trial 
for whatever it is that he did in the bank. Now, like I said, at this point, we haven't seen all the details of what he's done. All we see up to now as the viewer is what I've described to you, just the beginning of the robbery before uh, Rex, you know, decides to go beast mode, which, you know, we'll talk about in a little bit here. So Rex is now on trial. We see, you know, random witnesses calling him a hero, saying that he saved the day. We see other witnesses saying that he's a menace and that he should be locked up. Anybody, any normal citizen that would think to do this is not someone who should be a free person, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, we get a very nasty, uh, uh, what do you call it, prosecutor who's just, you know, ringing, you know, Rex through the coals and just, um, you know baiting him with questions that he knows are going to get the kind of answers that he wants to try to convince this jury that Rex is a menace and not a hero. Um, eventually, um, a plea deal is offered. Um, Rex's attorney basically tells him, look, uh, I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get you off on these charges. You're looking at 20 plus years in prison. But the district attorney has offered a plea deal Eight years, no probation, no nothing. You serve your eight years, and then we wipe the record clean. You're, you know, you're free and clear, blah, blah, blah. So um, Rex you know, kind of takes a few seconds to decide, and then he says, yes, he'll take the deal. And then instantly we get a Chiron on the screen that says eight years later. So instantly <laughs> we jump forward eight years, and we see Rex has been released from prison. And he is at a convenience store just kind of buying, you know, some, it looks like he's buying like some medicine pills, sleeping pills, uh, ice cream, just random stuff, I guess, stuff that he probably never got while he was in prison. So uh, while he's in line at the convenience store, he notices a magazine with his face on the cover, big and bold, right on the front. That says, you know, free at last after eight years. So this guy obviously became a little bit of a local legend by taking out these bank robbers. And even now, eight years later, he's still news. People, you know, still recognize him, which is kind of where the movie goes now. Um, he decides to buy the magazine with his cover on it after the magazine winks at him. Yes, uh, his own face on the magazine winked at him which is the first kind of clue that Rex might not all, you know, be all there. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, he tries to buy the magazine and the rest of his groceries. Suddenly the girl at the counter recognizes him, knows who it is. And, and suddenly as she starts to say things like, oh, my God, it, it's you, you're free, blah, blah, blah. More people, it almost turns into a wave as more people in the store suddenly realize who the guy is until it's basically a media circus. Um, the very next scene, he's in a diner by himself, just eating lunch, which is another suspension of disbelief because this is absolutely illegal. But basically, as he's in, on, at the uh, table at the diner, he's surrounded by about a half dozen photographers that are just relentlessly taking his picture and asking him questions. Obviously, this wouldn't happen in real life because it's a, it's a pub, excuse me, it's a private business you know, they're not going to let the media in there and harass their customers while they're trying to eat. So, you know, a little more suspension of disbelief there. But again, at this point in the movie, it's starting to be established that we're probably going to have to suspend disbelief a lot. So um, at this point, as he's um, at the at the uh, diner eating his lunch, he's eating a burger, I believe. 
um, he actually starts to see an imaginary friend, and that imaginary friend is himself. Uh, he basically sees himself sitting across from the table, basically saying aloud all the things that he wishes he could. You know, he's calling the photographers motherfucking leeches and, you know, how the fuck can you do this and blah, 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 blah. Um, and he imagines himself picking up the table that he's sitting at and throwing it at the photographers. Um, but then he kind of comes to and realizes it was just a daydream. He did not throw the table, but his imaginary friend is still there sitting with them and says, I saw that. I know what you were thinking. So obviously, you know, um, Rex point two, as I call him the rest of the movie, um, is kind of his, I guess, defense mechanism against, you know, becoming a sociopath. And, you know, um, he, he has his own Tyler Durden, but it's just himself. Literally. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, he's got his own little Jiminy Cricket that just follows him around and looks exactly like him, blah, blah, blah. Um, so again, uh, after that, let's see. So after the uh, thing at the dinner table, we, we then are transported back to Finland for a quick scene where we see an American once again running away from the same house that Aaliyah was seen running away from in the opening scene. Um, unfortunately he does not get away and, you know, we later find out that, you know, he did not escape the house and, you know, we'll see him a little bit later, but it's basically just a flashback letting you know that this family, you know, as I said, this movie gives you little kernels of information rather than exposing large plot points all at once. It's just giving you little bits here and there. Um, during this second visit to Finland is where we see that, uh, the family is, you know, keeping these people in their basement. We don't know for what quite yet, but they are keeping these people and that they have. And then we see Aaliyah as uh, an adult, the girl from the opening scene who was trying to escape. And we find out that Aaliyah actually is part of this family. She is actually a blood sister um, to this family. This family consists of a mother, father, three bro or four total brothers, three that are older than Aaliyah and then one that's much younger than Aaliyah, his name is Ali. Um, he's probably somewhere in the 10 to 12-year-old range, somewhere in that uh, area. Um, and we see that kind of, you know, Aaliyah isn't really, should I say, as the movie goes along, we will find out that Aaliyah is not on board with everything that her family does, blah, blah, blah. So... Um, after the diner scene, uh, and then after this revisit to Finland, we then see Rex at the airport. Uh, Rex takes himself to the airport. Um, after visiting an old bartender friend that I guess he used to work for, um, or with, uh, before his prison term. And, you know, they, they have a back and forth about, um, you know, what, what's he going to do now, now that he's out, blah, blah, blah. Rex basically asks the guy for a box of his stuff that he left with him before he went to prison. Um, he starts looking through the box of personal possessions. It's mostly just random papers and things like that. But then he pulls out his passport, his still valid passport, and lets his friend know, I'm going to Finland. And, of course, the friend instantly is like, what the hell do you have in Finland? Why do you want to go to Finland? And then um, after that, we see a quick flashback scene of Rex in prison where he basically decides that after he gets out of prison, he has to leave the U.S. He's going to be he's going to have that notoriety attached to him for a very long time. He's not going to be able to have a normal life. 
So what he does is he actually spits a spitball at a map, at a world map that he has up on the uh, on the wall. And, of course, the spitball hits Finland. So, yeah, that's his big scientific method for figuring out what country he's going to go to after he leaves. So um, that's then when we see Rex go to the airport. While he's at the airport, there's multiple people kind of staring at him oddly. Um, he assumes that they must know who he is because of the magazine articles and the trial and everything else. Um, while he's sitting at the airport waiting for his flight to leave, a Spanish tourist comes up to him and just starts doing the, you know, the, the hero worship that a lot of people do for, you know, vigilantes and people like this. And, um, you know, he's asking him questions, like asking him really dumb questions. Like at, at what point in the robbery did you know you were going to do what you did? It's like, that, why, why would you ask him that? That's such a weird fucking question. Um, and it's obvious, you know, the guy is trying to be quiet. He's got earbuds on. He's trying to be left alone. But obviously there's always going to be starstruck people who, you know, are constantly going to bother him and bother his life. Um, and then while he's dealing with this Spanish tourist, um, an older Finnish gentleman, uh, Finnish, of course, is someone from Finland. Uh, hopefully I don't have to explain that to too many people, but uh, we have a Finnish gentleman sit next to him, an older guy, who basically tells Rex, um, I heard that older couple behind me speaking in Finnish, and I think they're, they're going to try to do something to you. And Rex is like, oh, no, they, they're just, they know who I am, blah, blah, blah. The old man explains to him, no, I heard them say in Finnish, he's a good one. Let's get him. Let's get him for our son. He, of course, kind of blows it off, you know, doesn't really think about it. And then he goes to the bathroom um, and after dispatching the Spanish uh, fan, I guess, um, he goes to the bathroom and then we get our first full scene, well, our first longer scene with our imaginary friend. You know, we've already seen him in the diner. Uh, he reappears in the bathroom and he's basically actually being the voice of reason, uh, basically telling Rex, um, the real Rex, hey, maybe we shouldn't go to Finland. I mean, what do they want to get you for? I mean, that just doesn't sound good. You know, even if, even if the guy isn't telling the truth, it, it's not a terrible precaution to just postpone the trip or not go at all. Of course, Rex, being the rational guy that he is, tells his imaginary buddy, uh, no, it, you know, it's obviously just fan worship, no big deal, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. Um, Rex then takes his trip. He lands in Finland, and as soon as he lands in Finland, you can see an ear-to-ear -ear grin start to develop on his face because he realizes no one recognizes him. He's walking around. No one's making eye contact with him. Nobody's pointing at him or speaking under their breath, um, and he just has this you know, shit-eating grin on his face. He's so happy he may have found somewhere he can finally live, but literally uh, less than a minute after he gets out of the airport... He is kidnapped uh, by a fake cab driver. Basically, anyone who's ever flown knows that there's a line for the taxi cab. You know, outside the airport, the cabs line up and pick people up in order. Well, we see this one nefarious-looking uh, cab driver uh, off to the side of the line of cabs. And then once he realizes that Rex is the next guy in line, he, of course, scoots into the line, into the line of cabs and picks him up. 
at one point during the ride, the driver puts on a gas mask, seals the back compartment of the car, and then suddenly gas starts uh, emanating from the uh, Never a good thing for your guests. Never a good thing at all. Uh, (laughs) At that point, Rex realizes there's something wrong, but he's already been breathing in the gas, so there's not going to be a whole lot he can do, and he ends up passing out. Now, um, when he passes out, uh, we get another scene of Alaya reading a bedtime story to Ollie, and she's reading it in English. And this is a Finnish family who's been speaking Finnish to each other in any of the scenes that we've seen so far. But she's speaking English to Ollie, I guess, to you know, so that Ollie has you know more uh, languages under his belt. So she's actually reading Jack and the Beanstalk to him, which I'm sure has some kind of commentary on the movie. But I'm not smart enough to put it together. So uh, literary experts out there. Um, so uh, after she reads uh, the story to Ollie, we then uh, go to Rex. And Rex is now tied up in a in a basement. He's tied up um, by his hands above his head, so he's basically like hanging. Uh, he realizes that he's somewhere that he doesn't recognize. Uh, he doesn't realize that something really major is wrong uh, until a couple of minutes. Uh, basically, what happens is a golf bag falls over in the basement that he's in, and a ball, one of the balls, rolls out. The ball slowly rolls towards his feet, which are on the floor. Like I said, he's hanging uh, from wrist highs above him. But then when he looks down, he realizes he only sees one foot. And then we get uh, a long shot. The camera pans back, and we see that Rex has already lost a leg. Yes, they took they cut off one of his legs already. And this is another uh, choice in the movie that I really liked because your average movie 99 times out of 100, when our kidnap victim wakes up, he's going to be whole. And he's going to have the sense that, okay, I still might be able to get out of this. If I can get out of this, I can still have a normal life, blah, blah, blah. But for Rex to wake up already missing a leg, it adds that extra sense of dread and just... Um, helplessness you know like how am i going to get out of this even if i had both my legs it would be impossible almost impossible to get out of this so again they subverted yeah, expectations. I, I, I like that I, mm-hmm. I like that aspect too that he kind of wakes up from his from his being kidnapped already kind of in an impossible situation and it also gives you as a viewer you immediately well you knew something was up anyway obviously when he's getting gassed in the taxi but then you realize, okay, this is on a whole other level if he's now missing a limb. Exactly, yep. Um, and then at that moment, Rex Point 2 shows up, uh, still having both his legs, luckily, and basically he just starts screaming. Like, he bends down and he looks right into the cutoff leg, the stub, basically, that was left behind, and he just starts screaming and, uh, again, basically doing what Rex is feeling on the inside, outwardly, since no one can hear his imaginary friend. Um, at that point, uh, they start having a, uh, a conversation, which is actually my favorite scene in this movie. Uh, I love this scene so much where Rex and his imaginary counterpart are just trying to assess the situation. You know, what time is it? What time do we think it is? It's dark outside. It has to be nighttime. Um, the ropes, uh, you could tell that whoever tied you up uh, didn't tie you up very well because 
you know, the ropes isn't tied. The rope isn't tied in a particular kind of knot. It's just like wrapped over and no, over and did, over. No, didn't they say that they they did that because they? they yes, yes, that that's because another, they had. Absolutely. Yeah, they lopped off his foot, so they didn't anticipate him to be able to do anything. Yeah, and there's still yet another reason uh, that they tied him up fairly loosely. Um, which we find out right now. Uh, basically, he tells the story to himself of when he went to the uh, dentist's office and got anesthesia for a root canal and ended up waking up halfway through the root canal. He, him, So Rex and Rex.2 basically realize, oh shit, you were drugged and you're not supposed to be awake right now. But because you have that thing where anesthesia doesn't work as well on you as most people... We've got the upper hand. They don't know you're awake right now. So, you know, the imaginary friend keeps telling them, you know, be quiet. Don't let them hear you no matter what you do. We need to assist the situation. Uh, you know, the scene keeps going from there. They eventually find out that it's 2 a.m. because conveniently this house has a grandfather clock inside of it. And it rings twice, letting them know that it's 2 a.m., uh, which means, you know, they assume that the antagonist uh you know the rest of the family probably isn't going to come back down until the morning they probably think that he's out for the night so now that they realize it's 2 a.m they realize hey they, we've got like three four five hours where we can you know plan do some stuff um at one point the doppelganger the imaginary rex uh points out that there's a pile of bags and suitcases and everything else from all the victims of this family Maybe there's some worthwhile stuff in there that we can use, which, of course, eventually leads to a Ramble-style preparation montage, which, you know, we all know and love. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Like I said, they figure out that it is a family of um, antagonists because of uh, they see the uh, their bicycles hanging up on the wall. They see a pile of other bicycles that are just thrown nonchalantly into the corner, but then they see five or six bicycles that are actually up neatly on a rack, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they make the assumption that, okay, this is a family of crazies that we're dealing with, blah, blah, blah. Um, at this point, Ollie, the youngest brother, wakes up in the middle of the night, and apparently, I don't know if he heard something. Uh, the filmmakers don't really make it plainly obvious whether he heard something or maybe he was just curious about what was going on down there. Cause he obviously already, by this point he already knows, you know, about his older brother and some of the things that they have to do for him, which like I said, we'll get into in a little bit. So he is familiar with the situation, but maybe he's just never taken part in a kill before. So like I said, Ollie goes downstairs. Um, he sees the guy tied up with his missing leg Rex pretends to be out cold because they obviously think that he's out cold. But Rex point two is standing right there with them, basically telling him, hey, it's just a kid. And he looks scared. He doesn't look like, you know, one of the crazy fuckers that might do something to you. So um, at one point, the Ollie takes a knife, pulls a pocket knife out of his pocket. As soon as Rex realizes that he pulled the knife out, he he basically acts like he's waking up. And then he, he starts to try to have a conversation with Ollie. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Aaliyah reads him bedtime stories in English. So luckily, Ollie understands English. Um, Rex figures this out, that Ollie is able to speak English. Um, and uh, basically, once he gains 
Ollie's trust and Ollie gets close enough to him, he kicks Ollie right in the nose, definitely breaking his nose, but more importantly, knocking him out. And somehow he has the dexterity to knock him out, but in the same motion, grab him with his one good leg and half a leg. So he's got like a leg and a half. (laughs) He's able to knock the kid out and then grab him in the same motion, uh, which is lucky because at that exact moment, um, Aaliyah, or Alia, however you want to pro- uh, pronounce it, um, basically goes down to the basement looking for her brother. She realizes her little brother's not in bed. She goes down to the basement. She finds Rex hanging there, but with her brother Ali in like a chokehold, almost like a figure four hold, but not quite a full four since he's missing half a leg. But, you know, wrestling fans know what I'm talking about. Um, so at this point, uh, Rex, again, Try, speaks English to uh, Alia, you know, tries to convince her that he's a, you know, a nice guy, that he's not going to hurt her or Ali, that he just wants to get out of there. And if she wants to go with him, she can. Uh, that's when she lets him know that there is no escape. Uh, you know, anytime I've ever tried to escape, they always catch me, which of course references the cold open from the very beginning of the film. Uh, which showed a child, uh, a small Aaliyah, trying to escape early on in life before Ollie was born, uh, but unsuccessfully escaping, blah, blah, blah. Um, let's see. <laughs> while while um, Rex is sitting there with Ollie between his legs, him and Rex Point Two actually have a kind of cool little conversation referencing horror movies. Apparently... Rex is a horror movie fan because at multiple points in this film, they reference real life horror films and talk about what the characters may have done to get out of it. And this particular scene, uh, they they reference Misery, where Rex, uh, Rex Point Two asks Rex, uh, what what did he do to get out of Andy's house in Misery? Do you remember? And that's when he explained to him, well, he was able to drug her and bash her in the head with a whatever, uh, a typewriter. And they both make a joke like, okay, shit, we're short one typewriter then. And we probably need something else because it's more than one uh, antagonist. It's not just Annie Wilkes that they're dealing with. So, yeah, kind of just cool little meta references. You know, they don't overdo it, which is nice. It's not quite Scream by any stretch, but they they pepper in a couple here and there just as fan service, I guess. You know, whatever you want to call it. Um. So let's see, eventually um, Rex releases Ollie. Um, Aaliyah comes over and grabs Ollie to make sure that he's okay. Uh, but, and then at the same time, she grabs the knife that Ollie was holding in his hands that he dropped on the floor when he got knocked out. Um, basically, um, Aaliyah takes Ollie back upstairs to his room and puts him back in his bed, but at this point, his nose is bleeding profusely, it's broken, he's got bruising around both eyes, uh, the orbital bones, so yeah, this kid is all fucked up. He tries, um, excuse me, Aaliyah tries to claim that he fell out of bed and smashed his nose, which anybody with half a brain would know that's an impossibility, but the family, you know, believes her for whatever it's worth, um, and they take... Uh, little Ollie to the hospital, leaving uh, Aaliyah by herself in the house with Rex. 
while they're at the hospital, the doctor tells them, yeah, there, there's no way that he got these injuries from falling out of bed. I mean, this literally looks like he was attacked by an adult, you know, something along those lines. The family instantly blames Aaliyah because she was the one who was with him when he was injured. So they think that she actually did something to him on purpose. So they go back to the house, um, you know, with the intention of dealing with Aaliyah. Um, but while they're gone, while they're at the hospital, Aaliyah and Rex are having this long conversation about, you know, escaping, the futility of trying to escape, uh, the fact that he threatens to kill her family. And she says, no, you can't. You won't be able to. Um, you know, and she just leaves it at that, you know, that cryptic little warning she doesn't really explain anything else um and this whole time i'm yelling i'm like my god you guys are taking your sweet time it's like Aaliyah, make a damn decision either help the guy or don't fucking help the guy at this point she has already yeah uh, that, that, i was kind of like uh, yeah I, I was thinking like what the heck come on are you gonna like at least help him a little more and when she drops the knife by his foot. I'm like, come on, man. Like, yeah, you could even hand him the fucking knife. What the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah. And even when he was struggling the whole time with his foot when they were having the conversation, every time his foot went up and he failed to put it in his hand, I'm thinking, lady, hand him the knife or cut him down or some, do some, a little yeah. something more to help the cause here. Yeah, yeah, they definitely, I don't think they thought that scene out through because it really didn't make sense that uh, Aaliyah would take that much time to make a decision, either do or don't. But to sit there and have a 20-minute conversation with the guy, which could have been time they could have been escaping, um, but no, of course, they don't. Um, yeah, because she clearly uh, wants to escape. So I'm like, if you want to escape, then right, the but best she, way she also, to say, get she also understands down. how fear is because she's already attempted to escape multiple times. And now she has to deal with helping a one-legged man, too. She couldn't escape by herself before. How the hell is she going to escape with a one-legged man? So I can see her trepidation. It's He's a little annoying. badass one-legged Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, I could see her trepidation there, and it kind of explains why it took her so long to make a decision. But still, as a movie viewer, yeah, the scene is annoying. You're like, what the hell? Stop it. Blah, blah, blah. So at this point... Uh, Aaliyah comes back down to the basement a second time after the family has left and she doesn't say a word to him. He tries to talk to her, ask her questions, but she doesn't speak. Suddenly we have the most erotic uh, stub cleaning and dressing scene we've, I've ever seen in my life. Like it seemed the way that the soundtrack was playing and how it was partially in slow motion felt like it was literally a sex scene. But the, all it is is Aaliyah basically took his bandages off his stub, cleaned it off more properly, and then bandaged it up properly because they basically just put duct tape or electrical tape around the wound the first time. Obviously, they figured, you know, he's not long for this world, so they don't care that much. But she, like I said, she cleans it, dresses it. Uh, then she starts massaging the leg that's been cut off, like the top half of the leg that's still there. She starts massaging it, and Rex gets the idea that she's being fresh, that she's actually trying to start something. But then she explains, "No, no, I'm just trying to get the circulation back in your leg because I got to cut. You know, you're gonna you're gonna need to walk on this eventually." Blah blah blah. So, uh, and then of course Rex is exchanging sly little looks with his imaginary self too in the corner. Because uh, they both think that she's basically coming on to him. 
Um, at this point, the family is back or is on their way back to the house. And at, um, they're, they're very close to the house. At this point, Aaliyah starts to explain um, the circumstances of her older brother. His name is Patty. Uh, and this is the mysterious growling that we've been hearing uh, throughout the movie. Uh, we later on we'll actually get a dinner scene with Ali, but uh, that's an uh, with, excuse me with um, Patty. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Basically, she explains that her eldest brother Patty was born with a certain uh, insatiable desire, and that uh, basically he only liked to eat one thing. Um, how a baby discovers that he only likes human flesh is beyond me. Um, but yeah, that she basically tries to explain to Rex that Patty was born with this hunger that could only be satiated with uh, human flesh. And then that's when we get the reveal of what they're actually planning to do to Rex. Uh, we also get another additional little piece of the flashback of the American that they that was seen being chased earlier on. And he was in the basement before they captured Rex, and they actually show him with both of his legs cut off. Um, and the family basically, or the three eldest brothers basically come down and just, you know, finish him off with a bunch of uh, stabs. Um, so, yeah, like I said, she's explaining about Patty, you know, talking about... She also uh, talks about the flashback of when she tried to escape with Ollie. Uh, basically, once Ollie was kind of old enough to walk on his own, she decided to once again uh, attempt an escape from the family. Unfortunately, uh, they were able to catch them both. And this time, because of their distrust of Aaliyah, the family actually built her a wooden cage. At this point, we get yet another time jump of... Uh, it, it, wait, I forget how long it was, but uh, I think it was six months. I think they mentioned that it was uh, six months that she stayed in that cage. Because, yeah, uh, the mom actually made a comment of, oh, these last six months have been so nice with you being quiet, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, Aaliyah, poor girl, basically spent six months of her life in a fucking wooden cage in their kitchen. Uh, basically was just their, I don't know, if they let her out to, you know, uh, do chores and shit like that. But, you know, they basically just show her in the cage and they show... At the end of the six months, Dad um, goes ahead and unlocks the cage to let her out. And, you know, they basically say, you know, again, if you if you misbehave in any way, shape or form, that cage will become your permanent home forever. So, you know, uh, behave or else. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so after all of this back and forth, after about 15 to 20 minutes of Aaliyah and Rex just telling each other stories instead of trying to fucking escape, Aaliyah finally relents and she gives Rex the knife. But like Mike already said, she didn't hand him the knife. She didn't put it in his foot. She literally drops it on the floor, makes him, you know, pull himself closer with his feet to grab the knife with his feet and then has to have like three or four attempts to get the knife into his hand. Because basically he has to do like basically an L shape with his body because he's his, you know, his hands are still tied up above his head. He has to get the knife from his feet to his hands. So, you know, you, I'm sure you guys can picture the position he's got to put himself in. Um, eventually, uh, he gets the knife in his hands and is able to start cutting himself free. Um, Aaliyah basically says at this point, OK, I'm going to go upstairs and, you know, try to avoid my family. 
Rex asks her, well, how exactly are you going to avoid them? There's so many of them. And basically, Aaliyah says, I'll find a way. I'll figure it out. And as soon as she says, I'll figure it out, the basement door opens and the three older brothers all walk in. I forgot to mention that of these three older brothers, two of them are twins. We do have a set of blonde, blue-eyed twins in the family. And the oldest brother kind of looks like the lead singer of Rammstein, if anybody knows what that dude looks like. Uh, uh, Almost a carbon copy. Yeah, I mean, he's got that very stern jaw, the flat lips, you know, the thin-lipped, wide mouth. Uh, it just reminded me of him instantly. Different hair color, obviously. And a little younger, but... Yeah, yeah I think that's that's what the, the part that's throwing me, is that it's not it's not Till's hair, normal hair, so... I, exactly, yeah. I don't really the, see it, yeah. I mean, I'll I'm looking at him right now, and it's not like they're twins, but it, it, it was the first thing I thought of, and I even went online and grabbed a picture... I was able to find one picture of Rammstein where he looked like a little bit. He even had the hair the same way as this character. I'll try to find it and post it. But, yeah, just just to defend myself of what I thought I saw. Okay, so at this point, um, Maddie, you know, the family comes down. They grab Maddie. They take her upstairs. Um, they start to... Uh, they start to slap the brother around to see if he's still awake. He obviously plays dead, like he's not awake, like he's still out. But then the oldest brother looks down and sees that his leg has been bandaged. That it, it does, It's not wrapped with electrical tape like it was before. At that point, he realizes, shit, Aliyah's been helping him, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Um, let's see. So after, after Aaliyah is recaptured by her family, we then get uh, another flashback to the bank heist. This time, though, when we see the bank heist, we see that Rex Point 2 was there. Um, you know, throughout the movie, we, you kind of wonder, is, was his imaginary friend somebody that he created in jail so that he'd have somebody to talk to? Or is this something that he's been dealing with his whole life? We never get a direct answer but the fact that the flashback shows that rex point two is there kind of shows that you know rex was already you know had some issues upstairs but you know we'll get back to that um at this point we see that rex at the moment that uh basically the flashback picks up at the spot where it ended last time where the purse fell into his lap the purse with the gun in it from the other customer he basically uh grabs it and we hear a single shot ring out, and we see one of the bank robbers fall over. Now, what's funny is that the other robbers don't really react right away. One of them actually even says, what did he do, shoot himself? Like, he actually thought that the fucking bank robber just killed himself in the bank. At that exact moment, uh, Rex appears with the shotgun that he got off the, the bank robber that he's already killed, he then shoots one, two more bank robbers who are basically firing at him. Uh, we get a scene then where he's hiding behind one of the bank teller desks. And uh, another one of the bank robbers is kind of approaching him. At this point, there's only two robbers left. So I think he's already killed three and there's two left. Um, the last one is the one with the red devil mask, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then the second to last one is the guy in the werewolf mask. So basically the robber in the werewolf mask approaches Rex from behind the counter. Um, as, he, as he goes around the corner, Rex 
um, grabs the butt of the shotgun. He's able to disarm the robber. He hits him with the shotgun, which backs the robber up. At this point, we now see a YouTube feed where apparently the video of this robbery became so viral that like everybody's watching it online. I don't think they were implying that it was being watched live, but you know, cause, cause the video was edited at the exact right moment. So this is all people watching the video after the fact, this is when everybody started calling this guy a hero, calling him Rambo, blah, blah, blah. And um, basically the footage shows him shoot, uh, one of the robbers and it gets pixelated but then we get to see the scene again without the pixelation and it shows that he actually killed the robber with, with the guy having his hands up and he was completely disarmed um, this kind of leads to uh, what Don was asking about earlier uh, unfortunately in very few situations in this country can you shoot an unarmed man um, you know, police aren't supposed to shoot um, a potential criminals as they're running away. If they're running away and they very obviously don't have a weapon on them, police are not supposed to shoot at them, blah, blah, blah. So in this case, um, once he kills that robber um, with his hands up, that's uh, that's basically first degree manslaughter. It's not murder. Um and it's not homicide because, you know, none of it was planned out. It was all heat of the moment stuff. In fact, you can kind of use the self-defense thing if you really wanted to. If this happened in California, it probably wouldn't have been as, as big a deal because we do have stand your ground in California. But this happened in Idaho. So maybe the fact that it happened in a more conservative state kind of affected his jail term. But, yeah, Um so basically, you know, he's already killed a couple of armed robbers, two or three to be exact, and he's killed one unarmed robber. So at this point, uh, there's only one robber left, and that's the guy with the red devil mask. He, um, unfortunately, the guy with the red devil mask ends up taking Maddie, uh, the bank teller that Rex was interested in earlier in the film. He actually takes Maddie as a hostage, and, you know, he takes her, takes her to the back room, they end up, you know, Rex ends up uh, telling all the rest of the hostages to walk out of the bank. He basically says the badass line of, all right, everybody get up and get out of here. I got this. I'll take care of that last guy in the back. Yeah, total Rambo shit. Absolutely. Um, at this point, the scene is flashing back and forth from the trial to the events on the video. Uh, again, we get the, the the kind of cantankerous prosecutor, you know, talking to Rex, telling him, you know, dis even though I know what you did was an attempt at heroism, someone died because of you. Um, at this point in the flashback, though, we haven't seen the quote unquote innocent person that was killed. So a lot of us are obviously assuming it's going to be Maddie. Um, so, you know, once we're done with that little bit of the trial scene, we go back to the bank robbery flashback to see how it actually ended. And basically what they show is uh, the last bank robber drags Maddie into the back room of the bank. It looks like a records room of some kind because it's just boxes of paperwork back there. Um, the robber has a shotgun pointed at Maddie, who is on the floor in front of him on her knees while Rex has his shotgun pointed at the robber. Uh, at this point, Rex kind of calls the robber's bluff because um, the robber basically says, okay, I'm going to shoot this woman. And Rex is like, oh, yeah, I know. And then I'm going to shoot you. 
Uh, that's how it's going to work. You're going to kill her, and then I'm going to kill you. The robber tries to tell him, you don't want her to die. You care about this girl, don't you? Blah, blah, blah. And Rex is like, I don't give a shit about her. Basically, like I said, calling his bluff, you know, putting up the best poker face that he can, um, telling the guy, yeah, I don't care. And the guy again basically says, okay, I'm going to count to three. And Rex looks at him and says, yeah, yeah, I know. You're going to count to three, and then I'm going to kill you. I know how this works. Finally, the robber kind of comes to his, to his senses, and he basically says, okay, look, you don't want to die today. I don't want to die today, and this woman definitely doesn't want to die today. So let's all put our weapons down. I will go out the back door, and you'll never see me again. Easy peasy, everybody gets to go home. Unfortunately, at the same time that this is happening, Rex Point 2 is standing right next to Rex, basically telling him, shoot him in the dick, shoot him right in the dick. Um, you know, again, like I said, you know, Rex Point 2 is Rex's uninhibited self, if you will. Um, so finally, at this point of the standoff, Rex tells Maddie, okay, Maddie, just get up and start crawling towards me. Walk towards me or crawl towards me. The robber is obviously defiant, saying, no, no, don't you dare. But she ends up doing it anyway. Uh, Maddie gets up and just runs out of the room. So now we've got, you know, Rex and the robber with shotguns on each other in the back room. Um, at this point, the robber decides that he's going to follow through with what he said. He's going to put his gun down. And that's exactly what happens. He starts to put his shotgun down. In the process of him putting down his shotgun, uh, Rex Point 2 one final time screams into Rex's ear, shoot him in the dick. And finally Rex does exactly that. He shoots the robber right in the dick. Unfortunately, as the robber falls to the ground, his shotgun goes off and ends up killing a woman who was hiding in a, uh, like a cabinet right next to where the robber was. So basically they had no idea this woman was in there. She was hiding from the robbers and, you know, like I said, because of getting shot in the dick, he discharges his shotgun, killing this woman um, in the uh, in the cabinet. And then this is going to be an extension of the charges now that we are uh, adding. He already has one count of first degree manslaughter now. Uh, and this is all on video, mind you. We see security footage, YouTube footage. I mean, we see all this footage of it. Um, so there's no, you know, questioning what may or may not have happened. Uh, so the fact that he shoots another, um, this guy isn't technically unarmed, but he was very obviously on the video in the process of putting his shotgun down, and he decides to shoot him anyway. So now, now we're looking at two two counts of manslaughter, and if they really, really want to be dicks, like I said, depending on the district attorney and what state they're in, they could add a, yet a third manslaughter charge for the woman in the cabinet, since she wasn't innocent, and quote-unquote, she would have survived if Rex didn't interfere. Now, during the trial, Rex makes a great point where he talks about when the when the robbers first came in, they instantly killed the security guard. Like, without provocation, nothing. They go into the bank, and they shoot the security guard right in the chest. And Rex makes the comment during the trial that, yeah, they established the fact that they were willing to kill people, you know, indiscriminately. So that's why I acted. I wasn't going to sit there and just let these, you know, hostages be killed one by one because of these idiots, you know, he acted and he did exactly, 
you know, what he intended to do. And when the prosecutor even asks him, why did you not kill the last robber? Why did you shoot him in the crotch? He even says, well, I wanted him to go to jail and I didn't want him to reproduce. So win-win, which I fucking love that line. No one in the court reacted. I'm like, oh, that, that line deserves a reaction. Come on. That was hilarious. I loved it. Uh, that was good. Um, uh, so, uh, where are we here? We are at the end of the robbery. Oh, okay. Uh, so now that we've seen the full robbery, uh, once again, we get a flashback scene of Rex in prison where he's, you know, spitting the spitball at the map. But what we see this time that we didn't see the first time is that he actually shot three spitballs, not just one. And by some fucking miracle, all three of them hit Finland. And then we actually get a really cool transition with the last spitball where he spits it and we see the spitball in 3D going towards the map. And as it nears the map, it actually morphs into real Finland and we, it almost turns into like a snowball falling in Finland. I thought that was just a really cool transition shot for what looks like a low budget movie. So kudos on some nice filmmaking there. Um, so after that uh, little transition, we are back to Rex, um, still tied up in the basement. Um, he comes to and he hears a sawing sound, like something's being sawed off. He looks down and there's the oldest brother cutting off his one remaining leg with a hacksaw. Unfortunately, he wakes up early again from the anesthetic or whatever the drug that they gave him to knock him out is. He woke up early. The brother, rather than just knocking him out or continuing to cut his leg off, decides to go to the other room and grab another syringe of, you know, whatever it is that they've been feeding him to keep him uh, subdued. Um, at that moment, Rex pulls out the knife that um, Aliyah gave him earlier, and he starts, you know, violently uh, trying to cut the ropes while the brother is out getting that, another syringe. He's violently trying to um, cut the ropes off his wrist. The brother returns to the room with a big syringe in his hand. And as he approaches Rex, of course, Rex is able to get his hands free and he stabs the eldest brother right in the ear. Uh, and I kind of like the reaction too. like the brother didn't just like fall down. Like he stabbed him in the ear and then the brother just kind of looks at Rex and kind of makes the realization of what just happened. Like, uh, he doesn't say anything, but you could just see the look on his face. He said, ah, shit, I fucked up. And he just falls over dead. So that was pretty cool. Um, at this point now is where Rex uh, bandages up his foot a little bit more. And this is where we get the Rambo preparation montage. He starts, you know, the, we hear a song playing in the background. He starts looking through all the bags, you know, all the suitcases and bags that are piled up in the corner. He's able to find some random stuff, a couple of knives, um, a roll of duct tape. Uh, he finds a set of anal beads at one point, and it looks like he's not sure if he should take it or not because he's staring at it for a second. Either he, does, either he doesn't know what it is or he's contemplating taking it anyway. But, yeah, he ends up not taking it. Uh, he finds a few more items. He finds a bull whip. He finds an aerosol can. Uh, he finds another knife. I think in total he finds like two or three knives. And then the last thing he finds looks like it's a gun, but then when he opens it up, it's a flare gun. It's one of those big white and orange flare guns, but he still decides to take it. Um, he continues 
Um, at this point, his imaginary self appears again. And at this point, they have the moral dilemma of do we escape on our own or do we actually try to help Aaliyah? Um, Rex, the real Rex, is very definitely against it. Um, the reason he's against it is earlier in the film, uh, Maddie, the girl whose life he ended up saving at the bank, ends up just kind of abandoning him. She, she ends up visiting him once after he's sent to jail and basically lets him know that, you know, even though you saved my life and I appreciate it and my family appreciates it, I just can't be a part of this. Like, I, I don't want to visit you for the next eight years in prison because I feel obligated to do it. I need to move on with my life. And, you know, she basically leaves, leaving him just shook in prison because the one woman that he did all this for just abandoned him, you know. Um, I'm not going to necessarily say that she made the wrong decision. She made the decision that worked most for her, but it was a very selfish decision for whatever it's worth. I mean, that guy saved your life. No one's saying that you got to, you know, fuck him and marry him, but at the very least, you got to be nice and friendly to him for you know, a, a given amount of time. I honestly don't think that visiting someone once a month for eight years is all that much to pay for him saving your fucking life. But, you know, that's just me. I'm petty. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so at the end of his little preparation Rambo montage, we see that he's got a book bag full of weapons and random stuff that he uh, took um, on his back. And we see that he fashioned himself an artificial leg with a one-wood um, golf club, a driver, basically, the one with the big head at the bottom. So he's, uh, he basically gets to the bottom of the stairs that lead up, uh, that lead out of the basement. And we get a little funny jump cut where we get a, a title that comes up and says 23 minutes later. And then we finally see him at the top of the stairs. Yes, it took this poor guy 23 minutes to get up a short flight of stairs because one of his legs is a golf club. So we'll cut him a little slack. But that was still kind of funny to see that little uh, text come up on the screen. So at this point, he is finally out of the basement for the first time. He is walking around the kitchen. Uh, no other members of the family are anywhere to be found, luckily, for whatever it's worth. But then as soon as he walks into the kitchen, there's Rex Point 2 at the table, once again telling him, you have to save her. You can't just walk away. And again, Rex says, look, I've already done more than I is ever expected of me for a woman. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, imaginary Rex keeps trying to convince Rex this girl isn't Maddie. Maddie never wanted you. Maddie never needed you, but this girl needs you. She flat out asked you for help. She wants to get her and her little brother out of this situation. You are almost obligated to do it, considering the fact that she did, after a lot of trepidation, did eventually give him the knife uh, to, to let him help himself. Uh, you know, he basically, yeah... He's still kind of arguing with himself on whether he should or should not save the girl. Um, and then, you know, he's going through the uh, house. Still no members of the family have uh, shown themselves. He gets to the front door, the very front door of the house, and he opens the door and experiences sunlight for the first time. And however long he's been down there, I have no idea. Uh, they never give you a solid timeline of how long he's been there. It could have been days. It could have been weeks. So, you know. Um, 
he opens up the door. Like I said, he has that moment of, oh, sun, you know, just staring out into the sun. Again, it looks like he's having a moral dilemma of whether he should turn back around and go save Aaliyah or just leave. Um, and basically, we just see him walk right out the front door and walk away from the house. Um, at that point, we hear imaginary Rex's voice come up saying, I'm pretty sure sh you need her more than she needs you, which is a valid point because you've got a guy who probably hasn't eaten a meal in the entire time he's been down in the basement. He's probably dehydrated and he has a golf club for a leg. So it's a very valid point that he needs Aaliyah more than she needs him. So, um, so when, what ends up happening is the parents end up coming back from the hospital um, without Ali. Ali is still at the hospital. You know, he ended up staying overnight. The parents end up coming back and they find the older brother's body in the basement, the one that got stabbed in the ear. They start, uh, mom starts screaming because that's her oldest son, which wakes up the twins. So the twins were in bed the entire time that uh, Rex was sneaking around the house, which, you know, uh, once again, suspension of disbelief because it's an old house that creaks a lot. But whatever, I'll let it go. Um, at this point, we see that once again, Aaliyah is in a cage. She, they're in the kitchen, and she's in a cage. And, um, you know, they're uh, basically, they're trying to figure out uh, what they can do. Rex has escaped. Rex is nowhere to be found, so they think that he's long gone, that he basically left. They decide that they can't stay here, because if Rex gets to the authorities... If he, by some miracle of nature, actually survives and is able to speak to someone, they're going to, you know, they're going to come back with the cavalry to take care of us. And, you know, Patty is obviously the big concern, the eldest brother who we still have not met yet. Um, so, like I said, they're they're at the table. Um, Mom, dad and the, the twin brothers are sitting at the table trying to decide what they're going to do. Dad tells the twins, okay, I want you guys to go find the American. Um, do not come back here until you find him. None of us can come back here until we find the American. If we don't find the American, then we just don't come back here. Um, then the brothers, and th then um, I forgot to mention that of the twin brothers, one of them, is obviously a lot slower than the other. I hate to use the word mentally retarded, but I'd say borderline. He, he was a special child, let's say. So one of the brothers is definitely, one of the twin brothers is the evil genius, and the other one is, you know, it, it's a pinky in the brain situation for those of you who watch Animaniacs. Yeah, I can see um, that. Yeah. See that. <laughs> so... Uh, like I said, they're all sitting at the dinner at the dinner table in the kitchen, finalizing their plan. And suddenly, um, the slower brother starts to say that uh, starts to talk about Aaliyah and starts to talk about what she did. Because um, at this point, the brother, uh, the family, um, the mom and dad specifically, still don't know that Aaliyah has been down to the basement. The brothers know. Uh, the three brothers know, but the parents don't. So literally at the moment that the uh, slow brother is about to tell them what she did, that she's the one who went down there and dressed his wound and everything else, literally the brother starts getting shot with something. 
Um, we're not sure what at this point. Literally, it sounds like he's getting shot with a, a gun with a silencer on it. And, you know, we start seeing blood coming out of his shirt. And then suddenly Dad, who's sitting right next to him, he suddenly starts getting shot from some invisible antagonist. Um, and then he falls over dead. Um, the slower twin ends up falling over dead. And then what we see is we see Rex underneath the fucking kitchen table. God bless him. The fucker stayed behind and hid underneath the uh, kitchen table the entire time the family's sitting here planning what they're going to do. Um, he exposes himself. He comes out from under the table and he actually nails um, the uh, the more evil of the twin brothers, nails his foot to the floor with three big nails. Just bam, 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 nails his foot to the floor. At that moment, Mom comes in. Um, uh, Rex is able to hit Mom and knock her down real quick. Um, the handsome twin is able to free his foot, is able to get his foot off the floor. And when he gets up, him and Rex both look at his book bag at the exact same time, the book bag that he just packed in the basement with all his supplies. Um, and they both go to make uh, an advance for the bag. They both go to the bag. Uh, the brother is able to get the bag first and starts to beat Rex with it. But during one of his back swings, he ends up hitting his mother in the face and knocking her out. Uh, a little bit of comedy there. And then suddenly, uh, Rex, just out of nowhere, pulls out a fucking hunting knife and throws it. Uh, again, like Rambo, um, this is another thing I like about this story is that we don't even get the full story of who this guy is, of who Rex is. Um, there's one point during the trial where he talks about his previous military experience. That's it. It's one quick line that he was previously in the military. So, uh, so that one little line explains a lot about why Rex is such a badass. So even though this movie has a lot of suspension of disbelief, they do take some care to make you not have to suspend everything, you know? So it, it does make sense that Rex is such a badass once you find out he is former military. So, um, like I said, he's thrown one knife at um, the, uh, the handsome twin, if you will, the evil twin. And then he ends up throwing a second one right into his chest, into his heart. The second one goes right into his heart. And the last thing this little dipshit says is, you monster. <laughs> this guy who's been killing people and feeding them to his brother just called Rex a monster. So, yeah, that, that's kind of nice. Definitely a Trump supporter kind of mentality there. I'll leave that alone. So, at this point, um, all the brothers are dead. Dad is dead. And Mom, of course, out of nowhere, wakes up. She comes to... And she goes to attack Rex, but at, at, at the exact moment that she tries to get up to attack Rex, um, Aaliyah, who's still in the cage, grabs the bullwhip that he had grabbed earlier in the montage scene, and she wraps it around her mother's neck and basically chokes her to death. So at this point, you know, uh, everybody that we've met so far is dead, and... Aaliyah basically says, well, no, there's there's one more left. And then we start hearing the footsteps, the fucking Jurassic Park stomping through the house footsteps that shake everything in the room. And finally, in comes Patty. And as expected, he is a large, 
uh, mutated mongoloid type looking guy. His face is all fucked up. He's got boils all over his body. He's a large boy, very fat, not buff, just very, very fat. Um, he realizes that his mother is dead and he goes to look at his mother at this moment, Rex does the dumbest thing he does in the whole movie. He pulls out the flare gun of all things and he shoots the flare gun at Patty, which does exactly what you would expect it to. Absolutely nothing. It's literally, it's not even a distraction because Patty just looks at him like, what? You want to die that quickly? Okay. Uh, so Patty goes to grab Rex. As he's grabbing Rex, Rex grabs the door of the refrigerator to kind of, you know, keep from getting pulled away from Patty. As he pulls open the refrigerator door, what does he find but his own leg? And we actually get another funny little cutscene where we, we see Rex in a field of, of posies dancing with his severed leg. It's like a happy reunion, you know? He's been reunited with his leg. Unfortunately, most of the leg has been eaten, exposing the femur. Is it the femur? Whatever the lower leg bone is, basically exposing that. I think so. A femur, a tibia, something down. Yeah, fibula. I, I I forget which ones are in the leg and which ones are in the arms. I you want me to start it. singing the song I can, but I don't think. Oh we God, have no. Time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so like I said, as he, you know, after he gets this funny little flashback scene of him dancing with his severed leg, we come back to the kitchen. In Finland, and uh, the brother, Patty, is basically got Rex in a bear hold, like a bear hug. And he's basically just trying to squeeze the life out of him. At that moment, you know, Patty, real, or not Patty, excuse me, Rex realizes that they ate enough of the meat off his leg, that his leg is now basically a bone dagger. And he does, you know, what's expected in this situation. He buries the dagger into Patty's mouth. Patty releases him, doesn't die right away, is kind of just staggering on the floor, but then he falls down face first, driving the leg bone completely through the back of his head. And and then even after all of this, we still get uh, Rex and Aaliyah still have a little bit of a sense of humor, because he, he basically looks at her and goes, well, I just killed your entire family. How do you feel about that? Like they're literally having like a psychological conversation about what he just did. And, um, and of course, you know, uh, Aaliyah has multiple moments of broken English where she'll say something not quite correct and Rex will correct her. And this is one of those situations where she says, uh, I have mixed emotions. And he's like, uh, yeah, good word, but it's actually pronounced emotions. And she takes it in stride. She smiles, blah, blah, blah. So that's nice. Uh, and then that's the end of the scene in the house. Uh, the very next scene, we see Aaliyah driving Rex away from the house. And uh, Rex Point 2 is in the back seat. At that point, we get a poignant little um, scene where Rex now realizes that he's not alone in the world. Um, he's got this girl, Aaliyah, this cute little Finnish girl who seems to want to you know, be with them. And as he makes the realization that he's no longer alone, we see Rex Point 2 in the back seat just kind of give a military salute and just fade away. And that's the last time we see imaginary Rex. And then we get, um, you know, the final scene of the majority of the film, 
which basically shows Rex and Aaliyah at a dinner table, like they're in a club or a restaurant or something, and they're eating dinner, and one of the girls who's sitting at their table asks Rex, well, how did, how did you guys meet? And, you know, Rex starts telling kind of a funny story where he's like, oh, her family hated me at first. They absolutely despised me. And then the camera kind of zooms in on Aaliyah. She starts imagining all the women in at the table making eyes at Rex, you know, biting their lip, biting their finger, you know. Um, she, she's imagining all this. And then suddenly she gets up, pulls out a giant meat cleaver and basically slashes at one of the girl's necks, you know, gashing her neck wide open. But then as the girl is screaming, the camera comes back and she hasn't done any of it. She's basically daydreaming. Well, Which, remember, don't forget, you also see that there's Amelia, too, on the watching her over right, her. Right, that's what I'm saying. Doing that. that. That's what I was not getting to. Yeah. Or I, that's what I was getting to now, is that these two are actually a perfect couple because they both have imaginary selves. Um, like I said, she's basically looking at herself killing these women who are making eyes at her man, but it's obviously a daydream. Uh, you know, she's looking at herself, and it's kind of funny that just as Rex is getting rid of his imaginary self, Aaliyah just, I mean, maybe Aaliyah's always had her imaginary self because she has also been very alone, especially before her little brother Ollie was born. So, yeah, uh, so there's that. And then, and then uh, once the little daydream part kind of stops, uh, we go back to Rex, and literally the last thing he says when he, after he tells the story is, and then I killed her entire family, and we've been a couple ever since. And everybody at the table just goes silent. Rex starts looking around like, what? What'd I say? And the scene just ends, and we get uh, the, our first set of credits, which are the animated credits with uh, you know, the actors' pictures and everything on there. And then we get a mid-credits scene. Uh, not quite a post-credits, but after the first set of uh, the animated credits, we get a scene where we see Ollie. Uh, sitting by himself in a room. This is the younger brother, Ollie. No longer bruised, his nose isn't broken, you know, everything's back to normal. And he basically looks in the mirror and he unwraps a family picture that he has of his entire family. And he looks, in the, he looks into the mirror and he basically says, well, looks like it's about time to start the American banquet. So that's our... our big little reveal at the end that Ali was actually on board with what the family was doing and not so much with Aaliyah's kind of look at it. And then the very last thing that we notice is uh, the family picture that Ali is looking at shows us a third twin. Yes, according to this picture, there were three of the blonde hair, blue eyed twins, one of which we never saw in the movie. So like I said, I don't know if they're setting up a sequel, but there it is. There is a third twin floating around somewhere in the world who will eventually seek out Rex and Aaliyah for, you know, his uh, bit of vengeance. And that's pretty much it. That's Bloody Hell the 2020. Se the sequel, more Bloody Hell. <laughs> Bloodier <laughs> Hell. Bloodier. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's our film pretty fun like i said i had just talking about it talking about the walkthrough just reminded me how fun the movie is like i said we've all said it before the movie's more heavily on the comedy side than it is the horror side not really a lot of gore unfortunately um 
and and the brother effects um, in this one, you know, Patty's effects were actually a little subdued compared to some of the ones that I've seen recently. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the Netflix movie from last year, No One Sleeps in the Woods Tonight. Yeah. Yeah, uh, like, I've got that. I've got uh-huh. that coming up. That's scheduled for either tonight or tomorrow. Oh, nice. Um, the antagonist in that one, that guy was like way more mutated. You know, just he barely looked human. He looked humanoid. Whereas Patty in this one had a little bit more of a human look to him. He just looked like a big fat redneck that had a lot of boils and fucked up teeth. Um, so you know, not as much makeup on Patty as uh, the kill as the. Uh, the killer in uh, No One Sleeps in the Woods Tonight. Uh, by the way, pretty decent movie. I had fun with it. Another horror comedy. Yeah. But, but I at agree. least this one has more gore. It's more fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you're, you're definitely not going to go into either of these movies, Bloody Hell or No One Sleeps in the Woods Tonight, you know, looking for the exorcist or, you know, the godfather of horror by any stretch. It's you're, you're, you're looking at a fun time. It's, it's, crazy redneck families in the woods, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, you, you just want to see some decent comedy, some good kills. And like I said, bloody hell definitely has all the comedy. We wish they would have ramped up the horror a little bit, but ultimately still a fun movie. Um, and probably what my second favorite of 2021 so far. <laughs> yeah. It, it definitely takes an interesting path to get to our horror stuff. Um, I think that's really what's going to make or break it for people, just depending on how much they like uh, the portion of the movie that it takes to get there. Because I think, you know, once we get to the cannibal family, it's all pretty good, solidified from there on out, you know, without nitpicking little things. It's just just a matter of are people going to have that feeling like, you know, half hour into this, like, okay, what, how is this even a horror movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's not quite a half hour, thankfully. It's like just past the 20 minute mark when Rex wakes up in Finland, which is kind of, I think it's like 22, 23 minute mark. Um, so most yeah, of the first act bad, is slower. Actually. Yeah, most of the first act. But like I said, the, the comedy and the characters and the characterizations is what keeps the movie going in that first half hour. Luckily, Rex is a likable guy. Um, you know, he's not like an asshole or he's not set up to be an idiot in any way. He's not a womanizer. You know, he's just a normal guy, you know, trying to, you know, talk to a nice girl at the bank and life just kind of, you know, takes a left Either turn. talk to her, talk to her, stalker at work, one of the two. Yeah, either way, hey, the difference between a stalking and uh, chasing is how the girl reacts. <laughs> and Maddie didn't react <laughs> yeah. too negatively to it. She. She, you know, she, it's not like she was freaking out or, you know, was uncomfortable when he was at her window before the robbery started. So, but yeah, yeah, like, it was funny because when he was still in line, I was like, okay, maybe they're dating and he's just like visiting her at work because the way she was reacting. But then once he actually gets up there and they're talking, I'm like, oh, it seems more like it, he just makes it a point to like try to get her as a teller every time because he likes her yep. and she's just trying to be nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, when exactly. when the bank robbery first happened and they showed up in all those masks, did you uh, did you have a feeling like they were gonna be like main antagonist? Like I thought, like maybe they were gonna kidnap him for some reason, and like they were gonna be the main bad guys. Like that that's kind of where this how this movie just like goes in different directions than than you might think. That was one of the things I was thinking. The other, um, 
because you know most people know again i don't watch trailers i don't read synopsis um i was thinking that this was going to be a situation of the bank we were going to follow the bank robbers and they you know uh, what movie was that scarecrows i think where they they robbed a bank or a diamond store or something and then they go hide somewhere but it turns out there's horrible things at their place of hiding yes i've seen we've seen that formula i think it is scarecrows i think that is scarecrows from like the 80s yes was witching and baking kind of like that too i can't remember i can't remember why the people ended up there in that craziness in scarecrows uh, no, I thought there was a movie called Witching and Bitching or something. Oh, yeah, Witching and Bitching that... was awesome. Yeah, the same thing. They robbed a bank. Yeah, and they exactly. Ended up, uh, they ended up trying to hide out at a house of witches. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I fucking love that movie, by the way. I thought it was, another, that was really good, too. Yeah, another horror comedy that really worked for me. Um, and plus, it's in Spanish, so of course I'm biased. But yeah, um, <laughs> again, you know, Bloody Hell is not the most original storyline out there, but just little beats that they did here and there gave it a little sense of originality. And like I said, the fact that they don't give us the whole story right away, they give us bits and pieces, little tastes of what actually happened, both at the bank robbery and, you know, when he was in prison, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I I can't can't say there's too much I dislike about the movie. Like I said, I wish there was more gore. Um, Even though it's only 90 minutes, it could have been shorter. There's one or two scenes that really felt arbitrary, but... I wouldn't go so far as to call them wasted. Um, like I said, it's only 90 minutes, so ultimately it, it's a nice length. Um, some decent action, some decent comedy. Um, yeah, overall, I just really, really enjoyed it. I agree. It's my number one and only one of 2021 so far. <laughs> uh, he's slow. He's behind. Uh. I'm already four movies in. Same here. Or oh, I'm actually at six. Yeah, you're higher. But yeah. well, some of that though are festival releases, yeah. confirmed 2021 release dates. So <laughs> technically, it's only three. But <laughs> hey, I'm technically at three. But um, yep. there's six total with uh, three festival releases getting confirmed dates. So yep, good enough. Oh, and then uh, the other one of the other movies that I saw that I just want to warn people about because it's probably one of the bigger genre releases of 2021 so far is uh, Shadow in the Cloud, starring Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, some people may have seen the trailer. You know, it's a World War II. It's based during World War II, but it's a creature feature. Blah blah blah. Um, yeah, avoid that movie at all costs, people. Especially because it's like seven ninety nine to rent right now. I, I I got lucky and saw a screener, and yeah, wow, it's bad. Um, it's it's just really really bad. <laughs> I I don't know that there was anything good I could say about the movie. So yeah, there there's your added little bonus review. Avoid Shadow in the Cloud. Sorry, Chloe Grace Moretz. That's like three movies in a row now that I hated you, and I'm starting to think I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, that's probably going to be the end of this episode. But uh, New Year, let's see if anyone has anything new um, to, for us to listen to besides this episode. So, Venom, do you have anything in this new year? Um, Nothing, nothing official 2021. Oh, yeah, actually, I do have one thing, but I'll get to that. Um, I did want to say that this episode of Fresh Cuts almost serves as like a precursor for the next main show of No More Room in Hell. 
I say that because today's movie was a movie... It's not a Finnish movie in the sense that it was um, made by a Finnish film company, but it is based in fin- Finland for the majority of the movie. Uh, the next episode of No More Room in Hell, we're actually going to look at two Finnish horror films. We're going to we're going to look at a couple of samples of Finnish horror from the past and the present. I believe we're going to be looking at a movie from the '40s, right, Mike? Uh, called 53. The White Fifty-three. Called the White Reindeer, which I know nothing about, so I'm very excited to see you know uh, early century uh, foreign horror from any country excites me. So I'm looking forward to this one. And then the second movie we're going to be looking at is 2008 Sauna, uh, which I have already seen and I think I remember liking it. It's been so long; uh, it's been close to ten years since I saw it, but I think I enjoyed it. So. This will be a rewatch for me, but yeah, like I said, that'll be the next episode of the main show. Uh, look for that probably sometime in early February by the time it's recorded, edited, and released. On um, In the Mic of Madness, we did our first show for 2021, and we decided to not do a feature review of any kind, but what we did was we did our top 10 favorite winter-based horror films, um, obviously, there's going to be a lot of love for stuff like The Thing, The Shining, 30 Days of Night, Misery, you know, the obvious ones. Uh, but then I tried to bring in some more oddball ones that I enjoy as well in my top 10. And Brad and uh, Becca, you know, both had some different things in their top 10s as well. So check that out. That is In the Mic of Madness. That is available on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Um Nothing new on the Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space Front. Um, That's only a monthly podcast, so, you know, you're only going to hear about us every now and then. But we do have our next episode planned. We just have to come up with our record date and blah, blah, blah. Um, That show you can find on the Legion Podcast Network. We are part of the Kill the Cast feed. So if you're looking for Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space... Subscribe to Kill the Cast, and you will get Underwater Kaiju, along with all the other great Kill the Cast podcasts, including Jerry Hates Action and the Friday Nightmares podcast. So look out for those, all podcasts that I enjoy greatly. Um, And then uh, the last thing is going to be It's Not Horror Okay, my commentary podcast that I do with members of NFW and uh, the Friday Nightmares podcast. On the last episode, it was back to my pick, and I decided to pick 1980s Ruckus, which is a movie that most people haven't even heard of. Um, It's a movie that just kind of came and went, um, starring Dirk Benedict and Linda Blair. Yes, a very adorable teenage, well, maybe not teenage, she's probably 20 by that point, but yeah, very adorable Linda Blair. And it's basically a Rambo story. Um, Basically, this movie was Rambo before Rambo. Dirk Benedict plays a Vietnam veteran who, you know, uh, comes to a town looking for somebody that he was stationed with in Vietnam. Um, And pretty much the same thing as uh, First Blood happens. Uh, The local sheriff gets into an altercation with him. It's obviously not Dirk Benedict's character's fault. It's the redneck locals, blah, blah, blah. And it turn, it's basically Rambo without the gnarly kills. Um, so, And like I said, it's a movie that most people don't even know about. I saw it on HBO one afternoon when I was like 12 years old. And obviously I had a much higher opinion of movies when I was 12 because I remember enjoying the movie. 
And then when we watched it this past Thursday, let's just say we we all had a different experience with the movie this time. And there's probably a good reason no one's heard of it. So um, if you can find that movie, by all (laughs) means, check out our commentary, um, which should be currently available. And that's on the Dark Discussions podcast network. And whatever Mike and I decide to do for Fresh Cuts next week will be the next Fresh Cuts. And that's it for me, buddy. All right. What about you, Don? Well, I don't have much in the way of podcasting, but I do have a special coming up for my website in February. Um, As you all know, that's Women in Horror Month. And and I'm going to be filled to the brim with interviews and uh, features for that. Um, as we're recording this on Monday. I sent the notice out on Friday that I would like to start taking pe- uh, applications for it. And as of right now, I have over 100 um, people to be interviewed for the site. So I'm going to have a lot of special, a lot of fun to, for that. So... Uh, um, it's going to be a lot of it online, or it's going to be online, but um, it's going to be all over. So go ahead and keep an eye out on my website. I'm going to be starting that on the first and doing it throughout the month. So going to have a lot of uh, special Women in Horror Month interviews, uh, as well as a bunch of other special surprises. I don't have anything confirmed enough to give uh, any kind of a hint on so far. Just, yeah, I'd love to do that. Let me know if you're available and we'll get something going kind of a thing. But as of right now, yeah, just uh, keep an eye out on my website for that. Um, it's going to be Don's Horror World at blogspot.com where all um, it's going to be in February, but just keep an eye out for all that because I've got over 100 people and a lot of them are going to be really fun to talk to. So, um, yeah, other than that, uh, weekly showings here at Fresh Cuts and if I anything else changes I'll definitely well cool um as far as I go it's uh you know fresh cuts no more Roman hell has venom mentioned and the one thing I did do uh I think it's been about a week um I participated in Legion Network's first video only pod podcast uh it was it was broadcast live on uh Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook Live. I believe it's been archived on the Legion Podcast Network. We did a top ten vampire list where the idea was we all kind of brought our personal top ten or just ten we thought should be considered. I, I think it was more ten we thought should be considered. That That's kind of the way it went down. And we compiled a top twenty list from all our top ten lists. So... Um, I just happened to be online when Bo kind of put the call out for anyone interested. Um, I was open that day, so I was like, hey, I'll, I'll do it. So he that's the type of thing he planned. He said right now he's planning to do those monthly. Um, so check that out. Yeah, the first one went really well. Um, so that's what I got. I know Gary, friend of the show, he has either one or two burning for Springwoods. He said should be coming out pretty soon. They recorded back in 2020. Um, so those should be coming soon. And then I might be showing up on another show uh, this week sometime. But if that ends up happening, I'll just mention it on our next episode of Fresh Cuts. 
because I'll know by then, obviously, for sure, whether I was able to do it or not. So I'm keeping myself busy um, with with stuff, not trying to, you know, overbook myself. But, uh, hey, New Year, so it's like, let's... Let's try for some new things when possible, but that's all I got. Um, I don't know if there's any new releases for coming out this week, but you both have seen plenty that we would have something to do next week. So, um, Venom, is there anything that you've seen that's standing out that you want to do, or should we just wait? I mean, the only the only other movie that I really liked so far was Butchers, and like I said, it's such a carbon copy of the movie that we already did tonight, it would feel like we're doing the same episode twice. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a- after you watch it, you'll see what I mean. The similarities are just too many. And even though I watched Butchers first, I, I think I enjoyed Bloody Hell a little bit more because of, like I said, it's comedy. Um... Uh, though the kills in Butchers are a lot better. Because, like I said, Butchers takes itself a little bit more seriously. There's definitely a lot less comedy, almost no intentional comedy. Um, so, But still a really enjoyable movie. Like I said, I don't know if it's one that needs to be discussed because you could just take today's episode, change character names, and it's the same movie. So, hey. <laughs> cool. Well, oh, and I, forgot I guess to mention, that's, oh. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I forgot to mention uh, earlier when I was doing my general thoughts, I said that my least favorite movie of two years ago reminds me of this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me explain mm-hmm. that. Anybody who listens to my show regularly knows that I historically hate Maniac Farmer with a passion. I, that movie was just awful. I know that there's people in the community oh, that worked on it that may be listening to my voice right now, so I apologize. I hate shitting on anybody. Anyway, point is, um, that movie, Maniac Farmer, had kind of the same thing where one of the characters was tied up in a basement and then he saw like his imaginary self talking back, back and forth to him. Now, unfortunately, in that movie, the character in question was an antagonist. Um, it was the leader of the gang. <laughs> you remember his name, Mike? Fucking Blasphemous Rex. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um that was one of the only positive things I could say about that movie is that I kind of liked how they were doing that kind of back and forth between him and his imaginary self. Um, in that one, it wasn't an established thing that he already had. It was something that just that he that he created while he was a captive of the quote unquote maniac farmer. Ugh. But anyway, that movie was terrible. Avoid at all costs. But I did want to point out that similarity because at the very least. You know, it's probably the most positive thing I'll ever say about uh, Maniac Farmer. There you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's probably that the final thing. word that ever needs to be said about Maniac Farmer. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I so epically hate it. It probably will be brought up again because it's now my like measuring stick for movies I hate. Like, I actually hated that one more than Corona Zombies, and Corona Zombies is epically awful. So, yeah, go figure. (laughs) All right. Well, with that said, we are going to get out of here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, Like I said, the top ten show of 2020 is out, so if you haven't had a chance yet, go ahead and check that one out on Dark Discussions podcast network where you can find all of our shows or 
when I say our, I mean the ones everyone does with me. Um, and uh, let's hope for another great year in horror in 2021. Uh, Don Venom, say goodbye to the listeners. Later. Adios.